E ngā maunga whakahi o te motu tēnā rākau tau katoa i tēnei rangi. He hārā tō tātou kaupapa, ko te kaupapa i te rangi nei, ko te noho tahi ki tētehi manuhiri e kia nei ko Dean, ko ia te kaiwhakahaere o tēnei uh, pakihi e kia nei ko Colonel. Kia ora rā e te whānau. So we've got a guest with us today. Uh, his name's Dean, but we're going to pass it over to Dean and he's going to introduce himself. So just, Dean, as a start, uh, let us know who you are and a bit about how you got into investing. Kia ora. Uh, yes, so I'm Dean. Uh, I have been involved in sort of financial markets for a number of years now. Uh, after finishing up at university, managed to find a job working at the Stock Exchange and got involved there pretty early in index investing. And then a couple of years ago, we decided to set up uh, Kernel and was really done about the whole genesis of it was we could build smarter tools, smarter products that are accessible and anybody can access them online. And so that's been our last couple of years of building up Kernel and growing our team and just slowly and steadily sort of building up a better set of solutions to help more Kiwis. Kia ora. Well, we're just, we're going to go straight into it. Uh, so first off, what is Kernel? I know you talked about how you how you started and why you started it, but what is Kernel? So at the heart of what we did, we uh, were a fully licensed fund manager. So we went and went through the big regulatory process of Getting a license, which is quite onerous, it's a, a big thing and, and a large responsibility to be managing people's money. And so we build a great range of index funds. So uh, basically we've got low-cost data-driven funds. Uh, and then on top of that, what we're building is a personal sort of finance platform that's really centred around helping people achieve their goals. So we've added into that an online savings account. So if your short-term savings goals where you don't want to be invested – We've just recently extended into KiwiSaver, and it's really taking a longer-term goal-focused, uh, really trying to put the focus onto the things that you're trying to achieve in your financial journey, I guess, rather than being all focused on what's your performance and <laughs> comparing your performance to somebody else and making sort of short-term decisions. Mm. There was a new word that's popped up as you were speaking, and we've got 50% of our following who haven't started investing yet. Yep. So index funds, yeah. what are index funds? Back to the 101 basics. Very much 101. Uh, so there are a couple of different ways you can go about investing, right? So as an individual, you can obviously go out there and pick individual stocks and, and buy those stocks directly. You, know, you want to buy Nike or Apple, etc. Uh, within the funds management space, so diversified funds, so if you think about your KiwiSaver, for example, you can go and buy a managed fund. And there are basically two styles of managed funds in the world. Actively managed funds, where they pay a bunch of researchers and they're basically looking through the market day in, day out to try and pick the winning companies and the winning times. Really hard to do. The other end of the spectrum is index funds, and that's basically far more data-driven. You may hear things like the S&P 500 or the NZX 50 in the newspaper or on the news or on Yahoo. Uh, an index is basically just a measure of a set of companies. So the S&P 500, 500 largest companies in the US. That's run by an index provider. Our job as an index fund manager is we don't try and make decisions about what's the winning stock or the winning time. We just simply go, right, we're going to give to you as an investor the 500 stocks to match that index. The benefit is uh, it's a lower fee, good diversification, and it means that from the very first dollar you can be diversified. And so... A lot of the research is showing that index funds simply owning the market or part of the market rather than trying to pick the winning segments um, is better for investors over the long term. And so that's what we do. We're very much data-driven, good diversification, low fees. Yeah, that's 
Awesome. It's an awesome oversight of, of Kernel. And just a bit of background of how we got involved with Kernel is my partner Googled investing company New Zealand and uh, Kernel popped up. And w- when we don't know something and we want to know a little bit more about something, we pick up the phone and call. Yep. And Kernel provided amazing customer service. So I just want to give a big mahi and a big shout out to your team uh, for being so patient with these newbies getting onto the uh, investing ladder about 11, 12, 13 months ago. Yeah, it was about 13 months ago now. And what we loved about Kernel when we started was that you are Aotearoa-based, uh, that you provide index funds, and that you've got really good customer service. So three things we value. I think one of the misconceptions with starting investing, and we've heard this feedback through our farangi hidden figures, is that... If you are building any sort of wealth, uh, you are having a negative impact on the environment. So can you share a little bit about um, whether that's true or that's just a big myth? And how do you know what is a sustainable, um, ethical investment? This is a really big topic and it's actually one that's accelerating uh, globally at the moment. And there are a number of factors for it. And I sort of talk about this shift towards ESG and sustainable investing there are three major forces all coming together at once which is driving this shift. One is people want it. People are demanding that companies do better for the environment, produce more sustainable products. So the customers are demanding change. We've also got um, data now. So we actually have the data and insights to be able to measure how well a company is performing, how much carbon are they producing, are they being good to the environment, are they good being good not only to the environment but also uh, what people often forget about is their employees. You know, what is the pay ratio to employees versus the board of directors? What are the labour rights for their staff? Uh, and then finally, we've also got what's critical is sort of government and regulatory change. And, and they are accelerating the shift. They're putting benchmarks or new regulations and forcing companies. So we've got these three major forces that have all just started to come together that's accelerating the shift towards sustainable and ESG investing it doesn't make it easier, though, for an end consumer to decide, okay, what is going on? Is this sustainable? Because there's a lot of terminology used, so green, ethical, sustainable, ESG. Mm. Um, we've written a few blogs on it. <laughs> That's probably a good starting point to start breaking down some of the terms. When it comes to buying shares in a company, I think the biggest misconception is around the direct impact that that dollar has. So if you invest into a fund that's buying shares or you invest into a company directly that's listed on a stock exchange, you bought shares in that company. The money that you pay isn't actually going to the company. It's going to somebody else who already owned those shares. What you're doing, though, is choosing whether or not you want to participate in the profits of those companies. So you may go, I don't want to be a shareholder in this company because I don't want to be taking profits from oil exploration, for example. But there is a flow-on effect that when a number of people start shifting their money and say, we're not going to fund this anymore, uh, it does have an impact on those companies, their ability to raise money, to, to continue in their business operations. So it starts diving into that. So I think the main thing there is um, you know, looking at those values and what's important to you, and you can start Googling and finding funds or companies that are aligned to then your values about what you want to achieve. So there's some really interesting things out there and, and each region has their own different lens as well. So last year we launched an ESG fund for New Zealand. So ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. 
So those are the three things that companies get measured on. What is their environmental impact? What is their impact on the community? What is their board's governance and their treatment of staff, etc.? And we basically now measure companies on those factors and we can score them. And basically nearly a 1,000 data points go into scoring each individual company. So you look at Genesis and they will get measured on XYZ and you look at Meridian and they'll get measured. And depending on their score, depends on how much um, they will have investment from the fund. Um, but there are equally cultural things that come into play. So in some markets you'll have, they won't uh, invest in alcohol. Uh, in New Zealand we have a common one of not investing in gambling. So Sky City gets excluded because of cultural preferences. And so it really is about going out there and starting to look and finding out what do you care about as an individual. There are a range of styles and different shades of green and sustainable and it's about what do you want to um, participate in and what do you want to invest in and what's of importance to you. Cool. I love that breakdown. That was very good. That was very good. Uh, another part that's come up, and both my partner and I, we struggled with this when we first got on the, the wealth ladder, and it was deciding whether or not to go down the property lane or the investing lane and, and investing in the stock market and investing in index funds. What's your thoughts on that? What, what do you think? For young people, a lot of our following are under 30 yeah. and a lot of Māori are still on the, the uh, thinking of purchasing land and, and purchasing housing, but the deposits required uh, for those two things are huge. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, what do you what do you think about property and, and investing and where young people should be getting started? For generations, all we've sort of talked about in New Zealand is investing in property, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the go-to of how to build wealth. You know, you look at a lot of people out there around you and they seem to have made their wealth by investing in property. And it's been relatively simple. Uh, things have started to change with property now. You know, there's awareness that actually we can't just keep building our wealth through property. We have to be investing into businesses and productivity and supporting jobs, which you don't get when you invest in property. Um, So there are a few regulatory changes that have meant that property is starting to be not as sort of uh, easy in terms of building wealth as it used to be. Plus, we've also now got rising interest rates. Mm. The other big challenge is, is just even getting started in property. So to have a, an investment property you still need sort of 40% deposit. Now, in Auckland, <laughs> you basically got to be wealthy before you even get into property, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it isn't one or the other, and I think that's key. I think a lot of people will start investing. You know, we see people investing with Colonel who are starting because it's accessible. They can start building their wealth. Their first objective actually is to build a deposit for a house. And you can't deny actually having that security over your head. It's something that we all really value and getting onto your first home. And then you can run things in parallel. You can continue to invest. You can continue to ensure that you've got um, money there when you need it. That's one of the benefits I would say as well around investing outside of property is life throws up curveballs and you never know what's going to come along. The nice thing about you know index funds and being invested outside of property is if you need to sell down for you know you need a few thousand dollars, you can't just go and do that as easily with a house. You can't go and sell the bathroom. <laughs> But you can sell a little part of your general investment, so it gives you more flexibility. So having a mix of both um, and aiming to have a mix of both is a really good position for a lot of people to be in. And equally, you know, it comes back to that whole, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. You know, you invest into shares, it's, um, you can get exposure to different markets, different companies, different things that are going on around the world where property, 
you are at the mercy of what is happening in New Zealand in property only. And, and you may have two or three properties, but they could all be impacted by the same change in regulation or rising interest rates. And, and so mm. you want to ensure you've got a mix of assets and different investments to ensure you're not at risk of one thing hitting at once. You know, we live in a land of earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and other things as well. So there's always those unknowns that could happen. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, such a such a good point. And I agree. I think it's possible to do both and build both at the same time. Old me was thinking a property was the only way and now more aware and more educated me is, is seeing the value of uh, yep. diversifying the portfolio and and investing and yeah we just we just love how easy it is to invest through kernel i think like to your point if a lot of people are under 30 aiming for property is a pretty big high benchmark to get started right and Mm. so the nice thing with investing is it's now accessible to just get on that journey start building up some wealth and feeling financially secure i i think i know personally my experience and and going through you know, going through your 20s, how much your life fundamentally changes as well. Mm. Your values, your priorities, your career, everything changes dramatically through your 20s. Um, and I think that starting out piece with investing is really key because it takes a long time before it feels like you're getting anywhere. Yeah. I remember like, you know, early 20s, you just sort of chip away and you put $100 away and it kind of feels like it's not doing anything for a long period of time. And then a few years later, you actually look back and go, Wow managed to save up all that just by getting started and having some good habits of regularly putting it away. And um, you know, my partner's the same, you know, started on this journey and you know, kind of felt like it was a constant battle, mm. constant battle to get ahead, weren't earning enough. And then all of a sudden, within a couple of years, you know, had a pay rise, student loan got paid off, and then it's like, wow, things have fundamentally changed. I feel so much more financially secure and it's just persistence and chipping away at things. I uh, would want to ask a question around the beer market. Yeah. Uh, This is our first time ever experiencing a dip. Yep. And because we've done a lot of rangahau around um, the funds we're investing in and and we back them and we're confident, it hasn't played with our emotions too much. We're trusting the process of it all, we're thinking long term here but for our new investors and we're getting these messages almost every day about what do I do so for our new investors that are seeing the dip um, first of all can you explain what a beer market is how long it lasts and just some fundamentals of, of how you should navigate a, a beer market you've got all the big punchy questions <laughs> um, the so a couple of technical things straight off the bat a correction is sort of a fall of 10% from the previous high. A bear market is typically uh, classified as a 20% fall from the previous high. So we've entered into a bear market now. We've fallen 20%. If you look over the last five years, though, you've still had a good sort of, you know, well-diversified fund would still have averaged 10% per annum. Uh, but it has been a bit of a roller coaster for investors over the last couple of years. When COVID hit, we had the fastest 30% decline in history faster than the Great Depression, you know, 22 days to fall 30%. It was mammoth. And we've had a few, I guess, lingering in the back of people's minds has been, okay, how quickly COVID fell and, and how quickly um, the GFC hit as well. I think we tend to extrapolate a 20% correction into thinking full-blown 
pandemonium panic, you know, the market's going to fall 50%. Um, bear markets are common. You know, they happen every few years. These little corrections along the way, they are the cost of investing. They are the cost of building wealth. The key is not selling out, not reacting if your situations uh, haven't changed. I think for newer investors who came in post-COVID, who started on those those really low bottoms after COVID hit, it's probably a good reset of expectations. <laughs> you shouldn't expect to make 50% return every single year. There is no get-rich-quick scheme out there. Uh, this is sort of a bit more reality now, this longer view, 5 6 7 8%. They're good long-term results, and they will compound significantly. Um, you don't need to earn 50%. So we've entered this period. I think the other thing to remember is markets are often forward-looking. So I think the other thing that on people's mind is, oh, we're going to enter into a recession. And so this sort of correction is not like the COVID correction where we had a lot of stimulus and we had a really quick recovery. This is going to be a more normal bear market that's going to recover over the next sort of 12 months or so. Uh, so it will continue a little bit longer and then it will slowly drift back up. We're not going to have a rapid spike back up. So again, there's no get-rich-quick thing here. Uh, but it's a reminder of that patience piece and that markets are forward-looking. So the markets have already started to factor in that we may enter into a recession, that growth is going to be slower. So if things start going a bit more sour in the economy, it doesn't mean that markets will continue to fall further. A lot of it's already expected now. And so these are opportunities to continue to regularly invest. That's the strength is, you know, regularly investing is one of the most powerful things. Uh, it does remind people, though, I want to call out that why diversification is key. A, a lot of people may talk about buying the dip, and buying the dip is a good strategy if you're buying into a well-diversified fund where you're buying the market. We know over time the market will go back up and it will build and give a nice long-term expected return. Buying the dip in an individual company is not guaranteed. Uh, in fact, uh, when we looked back over New Zealand over the last sort of 20-odd years, at the top of the head it was about 30% of companies over that 20-year period gave investors a negative 50% return. So even though they held for 20 years, and actually about 15% went bust. You know, individual companies will go bust. They will never recover. And so that's why we talk about diversification, um, why it's important to not just go and put everything into one stock or one company if you're investing in direct shares, because you may think you're buying the dip, but that could be the dip that dips and dips. Mm -hmm. And so um, diversification is really key, regularly investing, and just focusing on your long-term personal goals. If those haven't changed, then there's no reason to be fearful. It's horrible looking at the numbers, so set up an automatic investment and don't log in is probably the best advice. Yeah, yeah. Auto-investing. Yeah. That's our strategy too. Set and forget. Yeah, don't check it. <laughs> <laughs> um, with your investing journey, can I ask how many years have you been investing in the stock market? I remember getting gifted my first shares um, probably when I was 16, uh, Auckland Airport. I remember being gifted some shares, a couple of hundred dollars from my parents. Uh, and that was the first little journey and not much happened back then. Then I remember I joined the stock exchange and started working and after working there a couple of years I got involved in the index funds and I actually <laughs> I still had a couple of shares and... Look back now going, wow, if I had actually just started investing into the index funds back then, it would be in such a different position right now. So I've been investing now uh, 
10, 12 years or more, yeah. And what has changed about your investing style? Have, have there been any changes or have I you always been well the first that, that, that initial, those first early years where you kind of dabble and play around and you try things and you have a few shares, now it's more about, I, I would say it's moved from chasing performance to now taking a longer-term goals type approach. Like now I'm just investing regularly as part of, I want to build my long-term wealth and financial security. Um, I don't have the time and I know I can't go out there and try and beat the market. I'm just, I'm far more comfortable and a lot less stress when you know that you just, Mm. right, I'm just going to buy an index fund and I'm going to do it regularly and I'm just going to turn it off and it's just going to build over time. I don't have to think about everything. I'm not worrying about the headlines. So that's probably been the bigger change is going from that sort of performance chasing kind of mentality and and chasing the returns and this uh, short term I guess you know it is more of a sugar hit right Mm. when things go really well really quickly so now it's kind of a bigger picture financial security goals thing I think that's that whole journey as you go through your 20s how your outlook on life and your values and priorities change that sort of occurred along with that well we're just going to start wrapping this one up but we are nearing Matariki and for us this is a great time of reflecting and thinking about what went well in the past year and, and what we want to work towards in the coming year. So just some reflections. Uh, what was one of the greatest things um, you as an organisation with Colonel that you've achieved over the last year? I think probably your first point is, um, for me, it is our team. You know, I, I absolutely love the team that we've built here, the and we've got a team that has become very mission-orientated on how do we help more Kiwis build long-term wealth. And we've got a group of people in here that are just as passionate as I am, which is, you know, mm. when you start on this journey, you come in and this is my baby and what we're trying to build and the impact we can have and to f- have built up a team. You know, in, in the last 12 months, we've sort of grown um, from 8 to 25 staff now. And to be able to have that many people here in New Zealand working to help others is um, quite exciting. And... Uh, I think, you know, seeing that change and seeing the feedback we get from customers is also really gratifying. Like we've got a little Slack channel and every time there's some amazing little comments come through, we share around the whole team really feels significant reward from seeing how we've changed some people's lives and the impact and, and that feedback that comes through. Um, so, yeah, it's been pretty exciting. It's been a, a very busy start to the year. The first six months feels like they've flown by. Uh, there's been a lot that's been happening and we've got a lot that's ahead of us that we're you know, really excited to start sharing with the market. Um, so for us, it's kind of been a little bit of a breather. We did a great little team event away the other day as well to kind of just take time and reconnect with everybody. And and what I am looking forward to is now uh, that we're sort of on the other side of COVID here is getting back on the road, seeing, mm. seeing people. That has always been a, a thing that I've really enjoyed is our sort of regional road trips and getting out and meeting people face-to-face is, you know, again, really rewarding having that engagement from our customer base. And what's a goal Colonel's working towards over the next 12 months? Uh, some of the things that we are working on is uh, over the next six months or so you'll see is how do we give people more tools in the platform to help them on their goals? You know, that goals-focused mentality of being able to help people guide them towards the things that they need and, and achieve those life milestones, be it I want to save for a house or we've got to save up our emergency fund, how do we support that and make it really rewarding and really easy for people to focus on their goals and that way 
you don't have to be stressed about whether you're in a bear market or not. You can mm. just know, right, we're on track for our goals. Awesome. And then our last question is, how easy is it to join Kernel? Uh, it's a couple of minutes. You know, everything these days is digital, and that's one of the things that we looked to set up was a fully digital experience that you can do it all online. And anybody that has trouble, call <laughs> our, our um, customer success team. And so, yeah, we love chatting on the phone, so you can always call the I-800 number and talk you through any questions or queries that you have for what's going on with um, the different product range. Awesome. Tenakwe, thank you so much for your time today. We love that and we look forward to seeing Colonel grow in the next few years. Tenakwe. Kia ora e Just a disclaimer from us at the Hidden Figures podcast. Our content is for informational and educational purposes only. It is very important to do your own rangahau before making any investment decisions based on your own personal circumstances. We are not financial advisors, nor do we have a license to provide professional advice. We are simply sharing our own journey and our own personal piako in the hopes to help you normalise financial kōrō with your whānau. Wishing you all blessings and abundance, and reminder, wealth is for us. Rehe ki te kō e te whānau.